and thank you guys. Thank you again for all the opportunities that you do um, provide me as I share in ministry with you all at Faith. Like go, my trip to South Dakota this week meant that I got to hang out with some alpacas, uh, which was awesome. I, I, they're they're the, the, the most fun-looking group you've ever, you've ever met. The, the white one in the back, um, his name was Larry, and then the one in front um, named Scott. And they're uh, just a couple of really cool guys. And then I also got to hang out with an emu, uh, which is my spirit animal, I think, <laughs> back, back there. That's Sally the emu. Um, and we all together learned about nonprofit leadership. I was on a, no- a dairy farm that made cheeses and, and milks and ice cream, and it was a nonprofit enterprise. And so we got to talk to the owner, and mostly I got to play with the emu. Um, Right, cassowaries have the thingy, uh, or that's, a, yeah, yeah, and I also got to visit the Corn Palace. Has anyone ever been to the Corn Palace? Has anyone, this is what I want to know, has anyone ever played basketball here in the Corn Palace? It's got one of the, I guess, what at one point was one of the best basketball courts in the upper Midwest. Anybody have no idea what a Corn Palace is? A few of us, that was me a week ago, so let me tell you, it takes a minute. So back in 1862, for real, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln signed the Homestead Act into law, and that created an incentive, right, to populate the Western territories. You could settle some land for a nominal fee, farm it for five years, and it's yours. And so over time, small communities of these homesteaders start developing in the the Western territories. And as those communities grew into small towns, the towns decided they wanted to grow. So they had to do something to attract more residents. They had to do something to help differentiate their town from every other town out west. They needed something to show that their land was good land. If you wanted a farmer to move and farm by you, you had to convince them that your soil is worth farming because soil matters. Sioux City, Iowa was one of the first, if not the first, to build a palace to showcase the quality of their soil. So in 1887, they built the first corn palace, 18,000 square feet, over 100 feet high, covered in corn and other grains. And it was a year of horrible drought out west, but Sioux City was somehow saved and spared. And so this monument to a plentiful harvest drew thousands. President Grover Cleveland even came to visit the Corn Palace in Sioux City, Iowa. So then other communities, right, they're going to do the same thing. They follow suit. There was a Flax Palace in Forest City, Iowa. This is the Flax Palace. My favorite was the Sugar Beet Palace in Grand Island, Nebraska, and an Alfalfa Palace in Rapid City, South Dakota. And finally, after Sioux City's palace burned one final time, it burned down like three different times, and finally they gave up. And so the residents of Mitchell, South Dakota, decided they needed to fill that corn hole. And so, <laughs> and so they built a palace of their own in 1892. And the corn palace, this is the one from 1915, the corn palace did its job. It's the last palace standing, and Mitchell is now a thriving community with 16,000 people, two colleges, two museums, and a lot of corn. 
And over the course of its 130-year history, the Corn Palace has been an exhibition hall, a museum, a banquet facility, convention center, every fall the home of both Mitchell High and Dakota Wesleyan basketball. They both play their basketball games there. And every year, a theme is chosen to decorate the outside of the Corn Palace. Artworks are mapped out. 325,000 ears of corn of various colors are used to decorate the outside of that palace. Every year they change. Well, most years they change the decorations because it depends on the state of the soil. There was a drought out there in 2022, so that meant no new art. When I came, it still said 2022 under the big top circus theme. The harvest, though, is looking good this year so that next year's annual 250,000 visitors to the Corn Palace will see something new. You see, soil matters. If you've ever tried to grow something, you know this. Jesus knew this, and that's why I told a parable one day when he was preaching about the kingdom of heaven. This is Matthew chapter 13. It's verses 1 through 9. That same day, the same day that he said, you are my brothers and sisters, whoever, whoever believes in me and follows me is my brother and sister, whoever does the will of the Father is my brother and sister. So the same day he said that, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he said to them many things in parables, saying, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds, they came, and they ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth some grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we do have ears. And so today we're listening to you. We're listening for you to speak a word into our hearts, each of us, Lord. You know us. You know us better than we know ourselves, Lord. You know what we, each of us, needs to hear. Speak. We're all ears. Amen. Amen. If you have ears, hear. What has 325,000 ears but can't hear a thing? A corn palace, that's right, the corn palace. But really, in our scripture today, Jesus is out teaching the people for the third time in Matthew's gospel, and he tells a parable. Now, the word parable, by the way, if you didn't know, it comes from the Greek, appropriately enough, the Greek word parabole. Parabole literally means to place one thing beside another, a juxtaposition so a parable is a story told about one thing that is intended to teach you about something different. For example, Jesus tells a lot of stories about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he goes on to talk about like sheep. 
or a treasure in a field or a widow with ten coins, like things that you wouldn't think are a kingdom of heaven. It's a, it's a metaphor, it's a juxtaposition. So here, the sharing of the kingdom is something like a farmer out sowing seeds. And if we learn nothing else from this parable, we learn that when we are out sowing kingdom seeds, as Wanda told us, one process, part of this process matters a whole lot. What matters? Soil. Soil matters. Like last week on the 4th of July, I decided to do a little gardening on the side of my house. We'd been meaning to clean it up, but we hadn't gotten to that part of our yard yet this year. So we had a mess. Like, I'm, I'm not joking. An embarrassing mess of weeds, of unhappy hostas, too many lilies. One is enough for me. We had too many lilies. Plus, to top it off, my neighbor's hose had sprung a leak. So this is the side. You can't really see it, but back by the fence was just mud. Mud. No grass anymore. By the next day, it was all mud. And so it run all night and all morning. The grass was destroyed. And my, my thumb ain't green, by the way. I'm not a good sower of, of clothes or seeds which is evident by the fact that I, I didn't realize at the time I literally cho- chose what became the hottest day in the history of taking the temperature to do this. And what I found out was the ground is weird. Like there's a flood on one part, the grass is gone, but then most of the soil along the side of the house was still rocky and dry from the amount of sun that it gets, which wasn't good for the hostas. Plus between the lilies and the weeds, they were choking everything out. So finally then I needed also to sow some grass seed and had to flatten out the soil because I kept slipping in the mud and then it's like this wavy, it's no longer flat ground. I did say I'm not a gardener, right? And I know nothing about soil, which is really unfortunate because we all know that what? Soil matters, thank you. But this is where we're at right now. I I hope that I got things sorted out with the side of the yard and and I'm waiting I'm waiting for the nutrients to do their things, the rain to do its thing, basically waiting for God to do God's thing. Growing stuff is hard work, which is why for all the hard news that Jesus gives us about trying to sow kingdom seeds, did you hear that? Three-fourths of the kingdom seeds go to naught, right? Three-fourths of the seeds that were sown go to nothing. But for all that difficulty, Jesus does give us good news. That when seeds do land in good soil, the harvest is more than plentiful. Some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. You see, studies suggest that, especially at this time, a typical seed would yield, uh, using typical farming systems, maybe something between 7 and 12-fold as a yield. So 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. The good news is that the kingdom seeds are sown in good soil. When that happens... The Spirit does amazing work, incomprehensibly bountiful work, mystery work. This is like Garden of Eden level flowering of seeds happening when the kingdom is sown in good soil. And that's good news. And a reminder again that soil matters. Thank you. But (laughs) it's a long parable to just tell us that soil matters to boil down 
to two words, I feel like there has to be more to the parable Jesus, like you're not telling us the whole thing. Like anyone else here feel like there's got to be more to this parable than just two words, right? Or anyone else just feel like they have to nod and say yes because I'm the pastor and I'm asking the question, and so obviously, yeah. So, well, the disciples thought there was more to this parable than just good soil or soil matters, and so they actually asked Jesus, they're like, hey, Jesus, we don't get it. Can, can you help, help a brothers out here or 12 of us out here? And amazingly, Jesus does. Like, Jesus doesn't do this very often, but he actually explains the parable for the disciples and for us. And so this is Jesus' explanation. It's a few verses later. It's in 18 through 23. So here's what Jesus says. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. He says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. There's no soil. It's like trying to sow a seed on a stair step. It's not going to work. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And we all jump up and down and we're like, praise you, Jesus. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person, that, that person immediately falls away. As for what is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bear fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. You see, the seeds that just fall to the path with no intention or awareness of what we're sowing, it does nothing. Like birds and seed, the evil one wipes it away before it can take root in a person's soul. In the rocky soil, there's no place for those seeds to grow deep roots. We're all in for Jesus until life gets too hard or, in our case, too often too busy. Or when we realize that actually being a disciple re- requires something of us, like I have to pull weeds every year? And I fall away. Anybody ever fall away because it got too hard or I got too busy or I didn't want to do the thing that God called me to do? Thorny soil? I'll be honest, I think we got a lot of thorny soil in the world today. Those thorns are the cares of the world, the struggles, the hurt, often hurt, by the way, caused in the name of religion that drive for worldly success or that literally makes our financial world go round. And then there's nothing left to harvest because the thorns of this world just keep pushing and pushing. Anyone ever feel like your faith is being choked out? Just all the stuff we have to deal with or the stuff we feel we need to accumulate. But good soil, this is the soil of people who understand and who hear and who bear epic Garden of Eden-sized fruits. We need soil with ears. Unfortunately, to borrow from Shakespeare, it seems lately that all the world's a corn palace covered with 15 billion ears, but we ain't hearing nothing, much less understanding. Again, Jesus says, soil matters. 
And if we're to be sowers of seed, then in a world full of rocky, thorny soil, maybe we need to pay a bit more attention to this soil. Maybe we need to tend to the soil for a while before we start throwing seeds at it. But instead of tending to the soil, every time we condemn someone in the name of Christ, who, by the way, Jesus did say, I come not to condemn the world. Every time we push someone out, every time we argue with ourselves as Christians, as denominations, every time we act just like everybody else, every time we try to shove the Bible down someone's throat without realizing they have covered in bruises from someone else waving it at them, we're just adding to the thorns that are already choking whatever faith was already there. And even when we come with seeds of love and grace and hope, sometimes the the soil is already so thorny. The soil is so hardened that we're just sowing in vain. Nothing's going to grow there until we tend to that soil, until we work on those thorns. You see, soil does matter, but too often as Christians, we're the ones tearing it up with thorns. Like me slipping around in the mud, just making things worse, trying to help. Here's an example. It's our saint of the week, Martin de Porres. Martin was born in Lima, Peru in 1579. He was the illegitimate son of a freed slave, Ana Velasquez, and a Spanish noble one. I've been practicing this guy's name. It's long. Bear with me. Don Juan de Porres y de la Peña. I think I got it. You know, that's the more money they had, the more little things at the end of their name. Martin also had a, a younger sister as well as younger half-brothers and half-sisters from his father's eventual marriage to New World money, not to his mom. And so his mother barely scraped together enough to support Martin and his sister, but his father's influence, that last name, still allowed him a couple years of primary school and an eventual apprenticeship with a barber. The real foundation of Martin's early years, though, lay in his faith. From that early age, he said he would pray for hours every night, inviting God into his life. Martin, you see, was good soil from the get, which enabled him to keep the thorns at bay his whole life. But as the son of a freed slave of African and native descent, Martin lived in a world of thorns, threatening to choke him and his people out. Though his faith was deep-rooted and he knew he was called to serve the Lord, the church in Lima forbid descendants of African or native descent from joining religious orders. Thorns. He could become a donado, though, which was a name for a volunteer who did small tasks in the monastery, menial tasks for the monks, and in exchange he would be allowed to live with the monks and even wear a religious habit, and so he did. And while he was in the monastery early on, he was called, and pardon the language, he was called a mulatto dog by the full members of the order. He was often mocked for his illegitimacy and his race. More thorns choking at his faith. But Martin was a skilled barber, sharing his skills with the brothers, and he would also share indiscriminately with the locals outside the walls. And as a barber, it meant in that day he was also skilled as a surgeon and a healer. Anyone want to ask their barber to perform minor surgery on them this week? But this was his gift, and he nursed the brothers through more than one epidemic. He also offered healing to anyone who needed it, 
needed it. And, and do you think his superiors in the order liked that? No. No, we want to know we're special. You're going to heal us. We got the best spieler. Spieler. Healer. You can't go healing the people with nothing, just like you heal us. He brought water to the thirsty. He brought poor beggars weighed down by illness into his own bed, into the monastery. He brought others to the monastery's infirmary, alarming the brothers by bringing in outside illness. Africans, Native Americans, poor, orphan, Martin cared for all of them, and he often healed all of them. There was no judgment, no preconceptions, no exceptions in a world filled with the thorns of prejudice, hierarchy, inhumanity. Even by the Christian church, Martin worked the soil, creating space for seeds of love, grace, and faith to take root in a people often overlooked by those around him. When his superiors came sowing thorns and forbade him from bringing in any more poverty, any more illness-stricken locals into the monastery, I love this, Martin famously replied, Forgive my error. Please instruct me, for I did not know that the precept of obedience took precedence over that of charity. And they backed down. (laughs) And Martin became head of the infirmary, was able to continue his work in the soil of the community, and eventually, despite restrictions, they looked the other way, and Martin was made a brother in the Dominican order of Lima. He became a local hero, for his healing work to all people. And because of his work in the soil and the community, many locals came to a deep faith in Christ despite the thorns. And a Martin would eventually become the first black saint in the Americas. You see, soil matters. Martin made it his life's work not just to heal others physically in the name of Christ, but to offer himself as a counterexample to the prejudice and the wealth bias of his local church. Martin worked the soil with grace and compassion, pushing back against the thorns that the church was busy sowing and readying the people for seeds of truth, seeds that would then grow deep roots into the community And as thorny as this world has gotten, especially in the last decade, and as so many of those thorns seem to be planted by people doing and saying things in the name of the church, Martin stands as an example for all of us that maybe we need to get to work tilling the soil before we do anything else. It's almost like we need to remind the world that good soil, there is good soil to be found Like there are good places to lay down your faith roots. Like you can actually grow faith in a church, really, like South Dakota in the 1880s. Maybe we need to build a palace of compassion and grace and love so that others know that this place, a Christian place, is a safe place to put down their roots a place where their ears might hear the word, where their souls might experience the word, a place where they can grow into the word. So it's the question, well, you knew it was coming, right? What did Jesus do? He taught us that what matters? Soil. 
And then what did Jesus do? He went out and he tilled the soil. He went out and he healed and he loved and he taught and he cared for people, all people. It's also what Martin de Porres did. Though he lived in a world of thorn, he had good soil in him. And he took that soil and he cultivated the soil around him. And he tilled good soil for others through compassion and healing. And so now that we know what Jesus did, what's the question? What will I do? Will you till the soil? Will you get dirty online, people? I mean, the good news is, by the way, that you're already doing this work, right? Like every back snack that y'all pack, you're creating good soil. Every friend you welcome to Friendship Club, you're creating good soil. Every person you welcome unconditionally into this place, you are pushing back thorns. Every care visit, every prayer, every school supply, every Bible study, every VBS, trunk or treat, kids connection, every service project, every mission trip, every load of love, every noisy offering, every green belt, every, every bell rung, every car show, every horn horned, honked, horn honked, every <laughs> grief group, Every time you let the world know that faith is creating a place, a purpose, and a passion for all people, you're working the land. You're creating good soil. You're making room for the seeds of God's love to take root and grow this community in faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is doing that. You are doing that. Soil matters. So I want to thank you again today. Thank you for tending the soil in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.